All right, welcome to another Indecorous Podcast. Purveyors of fat farce and fucked up history join in this futile quest for knowledge. Have a laugh, learn a fact, and try out all our super safe and decorous life hacks. As always, we have Carlos. Yep. Bobby. Yo. And today our special guest, comedian Spencer Taylor. Hello. And I'm Ian. I'll be your drunk driver through this collision course of nonsense. Hi, everybody. We've got an amazing show for you. Our lead topic this week, heroic acts come in all shapes and sizes. This week's hero did something that I think that all of us wish that we could do. Suck our own dicks? <laughs> really? Did it finally happen? <laughs> I've been waiting for this story for years. I've never seen that kind of light in your eyes before. Yeah, I know, right? That's the most excited I've ever... You're close. You're getting warm. Okay. I'll, I'll let Spencer lead us off here. Okay. A doctor named Zhang Hong saved a man's life by sucking urine from his bladder during a mid-flight emergency. I'm assuming from the other man's bladder. He didn't like spit it all over him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like crystal. Like up. some sort of shaman or something. He just drinks his own piss and then spits it in your face. <laughs> <laughs> the ill passenger was sweating and had a swollen belly. The man's family informed the cabin crew that the traveler was previously diagnosed with an enlarged prostate, which Doctor Zhang suspected was causing a blockage. He was going into shock and may have become fatally ill if swift action wasn't taken. So this sets up sort of the moral dilemma. If you had the power to save this guy, would you do what was necessary under the pressure? Or would you just be like, uh, I- I'm good. My off day here, guys. Yeah, you wouldn't drink somebody's piss. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a humanitarian. I like to keep work at work. <laughs> so Dr. Zhang pulled a MacGyver and fashioned a makeshift catheter out of plastic tubing. From an oxygen mask. Oh, see, they shouldn't be using plastic tubing. That's bad for the environment. (laughs) They need to get some paper tubing. Think about the sea turtles. Yeah, they don't care about the turtles. Okay, so they should be using paper, but I guess they're still using plastic tubing from an oxygen mask. Straws from milk cartons. The paper straws, I hope. Tape and a syringe from the aircraft's medical kit. However, the needle on the device was too small to drain the urine, so Zhang sucked out the urine himself over 37 minutes and spit it out into an empty wine bottle. Oh my goodness. To celebrate later or something? Is that why? How did he have an empty wine bottle yeah. on a flight? Don't yeah. they only have those mini bottles? Oh, yeah. No, Must yes. have taken a lot of so them. So it's probably a bunch of, yeah, they probably they probably just kept them as mementos. <laughs> Little souvenirs from when I saved your life. So in the end, the passenger still died, but Dr. Yang discovered a socially acceptable way to drink a man's piss. Wait, so we're just not going to watch the video? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's in Pornhub. You can pull it, pull it up. <laughs> Yeah, is that, are we just going to get our comments of the week from that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the story did have a happy ending. Apparently, uh, you know, the guy lived. I was just goofing whenever I say he died. So. <laughs> no, the patient uh, died, but the guy got to drink piss, which is his <laughs> lifelong dream. <laughs> Wait, who died? The guy that drank the piss died? <laughs> yeah, that'd be ironic. Save the guy's life, but the piss was so poisonous. The doctor <laughs> yeah, they put the video on social media and they really? shamed him and, and he, he took his own himself. life. Yeah. <laughs> So staying on topic of the theme of ad hoc problem solving via aviation, we have another story. Check this out. So the, the old saying, modern problems require modern solutions. So over in Texas, feral hogs are tearing up crops and costing the state billions of dollars. So what do they do? Enterprising helicopter companies and gun nut rednecks come together under the wonderful umbrella of lady capitalism. These animals are not your bedtime story animals. They're not Charlotte's Web by any means. He's a big one. He is a big They are aggressive, they are disgusting, and they will absolutely destroy everything they come in contact with. 
We'll try any way possible to get rid of the pigs. It's a very serious issue with us. Turn to your right, 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 so they basically have this company out there that takes tourists up in the air to shoot feral pigs with machine guns and stuff. Yeah. As you're like lining up a shot, you're like, this is for Robert Baratheon. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's crazy. Here's another segment. Oh my God, they're huge. Texans once had to pay companies to shoot hogs on their land, but a 2011 state law allowed anyone, even tourists, to hunt from the sky. Now they pay the tab and farmers don't have to. It's pretty cool to watch people's face light up when they get to do it. <laughs> May do it again, maybe. Got up this morning, got in them helicopters, and shot a bunch of pigs. That guy's birthday wish just came true. There's nothing like seeing a man's face light up after he shot a pig. <laughs> <laughs> do we know how these hogs became a problem? It, how, how, how are they not always a they problem? They don't really have many natural predators. And yeah, just, that's why I heard. So just uncontrolled breeding. And they, they really are a, an environmental disaster. But has this not, or has it been going on for years and we're just hearing about it right now? Been going on. In, I mean, different areas of the country. We probably don't hear about it as much locally. But, but if, like, if we were in Amarillo, Texas, this would be a big thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They've been. I mean, it's been a problem for them for years. But even, probably like uh, every stand-up in Amarillo, Texas, has a joke about the wild hogs. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the hack topic in Amarillo. There are wild like, oh. hogs in the audience. Wait, can you eat them? Yeah, my them? dad has killed some hogs. Like, no shit. From yeah. a helicopter? From a Not hel- in a helicopter, no. Just like hunting. Like a man. There's bare fists. Yeah, yeah. He choked it out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I guess if pigs ever fly, there will still be rednecks in helicopters that can shoot them down. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's <laughs> just what they're saying. <laughs> but this is crazy. I mean, it's, it's capitalism at its finest, right? It's like the most novel solution to a problem that... No one knew existed. It's a great solution. I mean, I, I guess that's, a, I'm not a hunter, but I guess that, that's one of the things that gets overlooked about hunting is that, yeah, sometimes you need these guys to shoot even deer or whatever, because otherwise there'll be too many of them. And then I don't know what happens when there's too many deer. <laughs> I've, there's something that is not good about it. Apparently. It does. It has like an impact on kind of the whole food chain. You know? Yeah. You can't have any imbalance of. And they'll eat too many, whatever the other, other thing humans. is. We ruin everything, but we're not going to stop. <laughs> the thing about that food chain thing too is like, aren't we playing favorites with these? Like, okay, if we have too many of this animal, they'll eat too many of those. Yeah. We're going to kill some of these. It's like, basically, we're choosing. It's kind of like the polar bears. Everybody wants to save the polar bears. But you know those fuckers, they eat, like, sea lions and shit. Or, and, uh, what do you call those? The ones that do the thing? Seals. 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 Yeah, I can't believe I, I could think sea lions, <laughs> but I can't think of seals. You can start with the same four letters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's a playing God equals playing favorites, basically. Well, yeah, everybody wants to save the polar bears, I guess, because they're cuter. But the <laughs> seals are like, well, what the fuck? These, they've been eating us for ages. Well, We're pol- glad to see these fuckers go. Polar bears have all that Coca-Cola money, so they've That's been right. bribing <laughs> That's their how way. They, yeah, they the have endangered a lot of that list. lobby. Like, even pot-bellied pigs and stuff can be mean as shit. I know somebody that has a couple of them. And, like, you better watch your ankles and, <laughs> and shins right? They go for them. the ankles? They they do. It's really, I mean, honestly, they're, I do not like going over there if the pigs are just out walking around. I didn't know you knew so much about pigs. They say they're super intelligent, though, like more intelligent than most people's five-year-old kids. Yeah, and then they most... took that intelligence and turned into assholes. Like pigs most people's mean. five-year-old kids. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right, we're moving along to our next topic, unethical life hacks. We've scraped the bowels of the internet to find the most amazing life hacks for those brave enough to dare. So set your moral compasses south and join us for the special edition of Unethical Life Hacks. (music) 
All right, I'll let Spencer leave his office. So just okay. If you ever feel powerless, just remember that a single one of your pubic hairs can shut down an entire restaurant. And what people in oh, the nice. podcast can't see is that this is written on a tile, which is from probably a public bathroom. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is the most useful uh, life hack ever yeah, yeah, in a public bathroom. Yeah, this is where all the wisdom <laughs> of the world comes from. And, and where did they find that piss-colored grout? <laughs> <laughs> That's another hack, man. Just use piss-colored yeah. grout, then piss won't affect it. I can see that being a hipster chic in a few years, where people will just like want that, you know? Be kind of cool and just me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is, I wonder if you can use a merkin too. Oh, Remember merkin! Remember we yeah. talked about merkins yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the day. Yeah, you yeah. know what a merkin is, Spencer? Mm-mm. Don't feel bad. Bob, Bobby <laughs> didn't know this either. Yeah, well, <laughs> he probably me. just it just traumatized him. That's why I he know what a merkin remember. is. They're up there in the helicopters doing the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wig for your pubes. Oh, yeah. why? I don't know. I guess maybe some people have pattern baldness. You're having a bad pube day? (laughs) (laughs) Lady James Bond scenario. Yeah, they're like weaves. Like if you really want to have like a fancy haircut in your pubes, you just put that thing on. But yeah, they have merkins. So maybe you can just keep a merkin around, shut down restaurants left and right. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't want to pluck your own. Uh, Excuse me. I've found hundreds of pubes in this dish. (laughs) (laughs) I would like a refund and a franchise. Yeah, but the point of this hack, I think, is that you can get a mill comped, an employee fired, or if you have pubic lice, maybe even get the restaurant shut down. So first you have to get pubic lice and then be like, yeah, I know what to do with this. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to reshape the entire Zagat guide. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll have Bobby take this next one here. If someone ever breaks into your house, strip naked, lather yourself and catch up, and run towards them screaming the lyrics to Vogue by Madonna. This would work, I think, regardless of what song you picked. <laughs> I, don't I don't think so. Yeah. I you, think it you, has to be Vogue. It has by to Madonna. be Vogue. It's yes. Probably, yeah, they probably went through several variations until they found <laughs> the right Madonna song to play <laughs> while lathering yourself in ketchup. This is a bold move. 50-50 chance here. I mean, it might startle them first and then make a new friend. Or they might just kill you. There's a second part to this where it says, if it doesn't scare them off, then invite them to lick the ketchup off. That's being overly optimistic, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. If they're breaking into your house, they're probably not into, you know, well, all right, I'll lick the ketchup off of you yeah. and then fucking rob you. Like, even if they're into you, ketchup's not a sexy sauce. No, not, <laughs> no. Whipped cream, it is not. <laughs> I don't like this one because you'd need ketchup at all times. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. There's a lot of preparation that comes with it. Not only do you need ketchup at all times, but you have to have Vogue, like, on the ready. Yeah. <laughs> no, every lyric. At, at all, unless you guess. Which I do, but still, I'm not doing still, that. Yeah, you kind of play it on loop. <laughs> I guess if you have Alexa or some shit, you can be like, hey, Alexa, play Vogue. I'm about to cover myself in ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a premature ejaculator, Bobby, I'm just kidding. He's <laughs> <laughs> live tweeting the, the thing again. <laughs> if you're a premature ejaculator, Always discuss the issue on the first date with a potential girlfriend. If you find it difficult to talk about, try using the word preemie whenever you refer to it. It sounds cuter, and she'll probably even find it endearing. Oh, so you'd be a preemie ejaculator? Yeah. I mean, what does insulting her newborn have to do with this? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You bring in the newborn into this. This isn't like a word I'm that familiar with. I just recently kind of heard it was like an insult people use on the web. Oh, this guy's a preemie. 
Oh, really? That's a thing I've now? Never heard I've that. always heard of Preemie as like, well, there was that show, Freak Show. It was like an animated show years ago with David Cross and stuff. One of the characters on the show was a premature baby named Preemie. Oh, oh, really? So it could be like yeah. a premature baby or it could be pre- oh, premature ejaculation. I mean, it does sound cuter. That's why I like when uh, people have a cold or the flu or whatever. And they're like, oh, he's got the sniffles. Like that's so that cute. cute, like the sniffles. Yeah. Or you know? like, <laughs> it's adorable. Like they have that for like I don't know chlamydia. Like ah, I got the burnsies. <laughs> <laughs> I got the burnsies when I peesies. <laughs> I can see spinning this a more fun way. Like you say, it's it's the the world premiere of come. Yeah, the early release. Or it's the early release premiere of come. You know? Well, you can spin it as a good thing too, because of how close to premium it is. Oh yeah, it's got Ooh. premium. Filter. I got premium ejaculation. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you get premium ejaculation. <laughs> Don't have any money to take your girlfriend out on a date? Start a fight with her so she doesn't want to do anything anymore. So, Spencer, <laughs> would this work? Uh, it could work the first time. But then the second time, I'm she's, like, we're going to continue this fight on our date. She's our wise. Very yeah, expensive yeah, yeah. date. She's wise yeah. to you. She knows the, she they, knows the ruse. They're just going to fight in the restaurant yeah. or the, at the movies. This is a life hack to get her to fuck one of your friends, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many times can you start an argument before the girl's just going to be like, why am I even fucking with this dude? Yeah. This is like the reverse of, remember the hack that we had about the girl sucking your dick and then starting an argument while she's in the middle of it? Oh, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was that a hack for? Now I'm curious. So it's like if you want to get back at your boyfriend, then suck his dick, and then right when he's about to come, pull out and start an argument, and that'll show him. Yeah, we did that with Dennis, but then Dennis was just like, oh, I'll just jerk off. <laughs> very, he was very pragmatic yeah. about he found the whole a, thing. He found a way to foil that hack right off the bat. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just finish anyway. I'll just jack off. Ha ha. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't mad at Carlos at all. No, no. <laughs> he showed me. All right, I'll let Spencer take us on this last one here. Put a bean-filled glove on your baby's back when you want your kids to feel loved, but you're too tired. (laughs) (laughs) Parenting hack. It's a good way to make sure that your baby dies also. Having a bean-filled glove on their back that they have access to. You have to get the exact weight ratio, right? So it doesn't suffocate them, but it gives them just enough love. (laughs) Well, the picture that they have on this thing is a baby face down with the glove on top of her back or his back. But isn't this also how kids die of like, Kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> this is just a, a choking hazard. It's a SIDS hazard. Yeah. This is not a, this is just a good way of like, uh, you couldn't afford to pay for the abortion. Get rid of your baby. You're too this lazy way. to go to the fire late station. Term. I killed my baby with love. I loved her too much. <laughs> I'm sure that'll fly in court. Hey everybody, follow us on social media, please. We're on all of them. We're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Indecorous Comedy, Twitter at Indecorous Pod, Instagram at Indecorous Comedy, and Patreon at Indecorous Comedy. Follow us on all of those. And how do you spell Patreon, Carlos? E-A, well, actually, Ian should probably take this one. <laughs> actually, I probably should spell it. Indecorous, by the way, is spelled I-N-D-E-C-O-R-O-U-S. And then, you know, if you can't spell comedy, then we don't even want you as a fan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so today we're taking on one of the most infamous mind control programs ever. Many have heard of MKUltra, but few know the details. LSD That's my use. favorite Mortal Kombat, by the way, is <laughs> Now, we, we touched on LSD use on this show in the past. Episode 6, for example, we told you about how the U.S. government tried to use LSD 
to improve human dolphin relations. Yeah. But this just led to bestiality, as we know. So today we are tackling the great granddaddy of that program and doing a deep dive on MK Ultra. Yeah, we haven't really talked about LSD on humans. Exactly. We mostly concentrated on LSD on dolphins. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, most, that's mostly our niche here on the podcast, but we're expanding our reach here. One day we'll make it past mammals. <laughs> MK Ultra didn't originally have such a kick-ass name. Initially named Project Bluebird. Lame. <laughs> Gay. It was first changed to Project Artichoke. Oh, geez, that's way better. better. That's even yeah. gayer. <laughs> <laughs> then finally, it was changed to MK Ultra because leaders thought it needed more pizzazz. So now it's like a final ball fight, basically. Yeah. Project MK Ultra was set up at Fort Detrick in the sleepy town of Frederick, Maryland. And from the 1940s through the 1960s was the headquarters for American military chemical, biological, and sci-fi research. And this is about the extent of what most conspiracy theorists know. They know the broad strokes. They know the name. They know the time period. But as far as what happened here... It could be they made human cyborgs. They invented some yeah. crazy chemical weapons that could kill out an entire nation. With I've heard all kinds of crazy shits. You guys heard any conspiracy theories about what this program was? A little bit, but like, do you think they would have done it if they would have realized how many podcasts it would have spawned <laughs> years later? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If all, in retrospect, it's their biggest regret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the people whose life they wrote. It's like fucking podcast. In 1951, Sydney. Gottlieb was selected as the primary chemist and leader of the project. He was an awkward man that limped, stuttered, and lived in a small remote cabin without running water. Is this a real person? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's Ted Kaczynski. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like. like a character from a <laughs> grim story. <laughs> he was chosen to lead the project in part because it was hoped that his reclusive lifestyle would enable him to have lower moral standards. And apparently he was probably a wizard of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's just get the ugliest man in the world to do this, because what else is he going to lose? <laughs> He's got nothing else to live for. But they kind of felt like, you know, he wasn't a super academic guy. He was just sort of a... A monster. <laughs> <laughs> he was a chemist, but man, this guy was just like a recluse. He was a weird dude. He had like a bunch of sheep, and he milked the sheep every morning. I mean, that was the weird part, that he had sheep and he milked them every morning? I don't know what you're saying. What a fucking monster. Most people just let their milk pouches explode. I don't know if that's the right terminology. That is what happened. Is it? All right. They just, they just anticipated some of these tests could get a little dicey, and they wanted to have a guy that maybe, you know, maybe his moral compasses was set a little wonky. Maybe I mean, uh, it is smart, I guess, yeah. Find a guy that doesn't give a fuck. I mean, there are a lot of assholes out there. You don't just have to, oh, well, he hasn't been around many people. He probably hates them. Yeah, but they don't milk their goats. <laughs> Everybody knows one of those, like, I want to get into a fight tonight, guys. But they're not chemists, though. That's yeah. true. They're not usually very smart, either. They, so, yeah. A lot of them have meth labs, though, so maybe that counts <laughs> as a chemist. Yeah, no nowadays, chemists are dime a dozen. <laughs> Go to any trailer park, and there's probably a chemist. Yeah, yeah. On the other side of the spectrum, so Albert Hoffman, a Swiss chemist, invented LSD in 1938 as a respiratory and circulatory stimulant. That was its original intended purpose. So it, it didn't work for its intended purpose. That's probably why no one ever knew that. It failed miserably. It didn't save anybody's life or help people breathe better. So they just scrapped the samples and said, this doesn't work. Five years later, Hoffman stumbled upon the old test samples in an accident and ingested the LSD. So a complete accident, <laughs> and he got extremely high. 
<laughs> but wait, the, the other people that they did the tests on didn't mention the thing. They were just like, ah, it didn't help my breathing. Never mind the fucking <laughs> dragon that I saw flying in the sky. They didn't mention that part. So I think what I read was the uh, active dose they gave these people was very small. And oh, okay. And then he actually ingested like way more than what most people have in like an uh, individual dose of acid. An epic dose. So he had just like an epic dose. And then he really enjoyed it got very high. So then the next day he wanted to set up a controlled experiment. So he brought his little lab assistant in there and he took what's essentially a hundred times more than what we now know as an active dose. <laughs> and he got high as fuck. And he uh, essentially journaled all this stuff down where he believed his next door neighbor was a witch that was going to kill him. And he also believed that he had gone criminally insane. And then a few hours later, recalled the whole thing being pretty fun overall. <laughs> <laughs> was this after he burnt his neighbor for being a witch? <laughs> I mean, uh, it wasn't his fault she couldn't fly. Yeah, other than that, it was pretty fun. Quick turnaround here if you look at the timestamp. So 1938, this was like when it first got created. Mid-40s is whenever they determined that it was fun. So within a five or ten year window of we don't even know what the fuck this is, it's already getting tested by just random chemists all over the world in a variety of different use cases. I'll let Spencer take this next one. One of the key goals of the MK Ultra project was to wipe people's minds completely and implant fake memories. After testing a combination of drugs, electroshock therapy, and sensory deprivation, it was determined that LSD was the most promising tool they had. Most of the patients in the experiment were prisoners or terminal hospital patients. The moral justification here was pretty shitty, but they tried to spin it as at least we used prisoners or people that were going to die anyway. But this moral justification was later debunked when it was discovered that the project was also heavily using prostitutes and Johns as well. Oh, come on. But they were probably going to die anyway, too. The prostitutes. <laughs> like they were going to live long, happy lives. Carlos, always the optimist over there. Yeah. And the Johns. I mean, you know, not like a lot of business CEOs. And What's a John? A John yeah. is the purchaser of said prostitutes. Oh, I just thought they were finding guys named John. That's yeah. kind of yeah, yeah. yeah, old John. Old just John. It's a miracle John F. Kennedy made it this way. <laughs> All those experiments that they did on him. There's actually, I mean, you know, it sounds cruel, but they actually made the life of these prisoners and terminal hospital patients great. I yeah. would have lo like, this yeah. is the one experiment I would love to have been a part of. Yeah, dude, if I'm on my deathbed, my bones are aching, give me some LSD. Give That's a happy time. Yeah, and you're, if you're in prison, although, I mean, I have, I've only done acid a couple of times, and I hear you got to be in, a, in the right state of mind. So I guess if you're in prison, it might not be the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're dropping acid. Yeah, all those visions of being trapped in a cage. <laughs> you're going to be a little a, too real when you wake up. I was, like, and ah, I, I was like surrounded by monsters. Like, yeah, you, <laughs> you literally were that one. They all wanted to kill me. Yep. They did. That's the, at best, they just wanted to kill you. You just do some acid and create an even better homemade prison weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how lasers were invented. From the creator of the toothbrush shank. <laughs> or, or better hooch. Yeah, I mean. That's yeah. Better, hey, that's how Pruno was invented. That's prison, prison wine, right? For those of us who don't know what hooch is. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think prison Pruno wine. is prison wine. <laughs> Get that, uh, what was that thing that you used to drink? Earthquake? Hurricane? It was some natural <laughs> was disaster, called, I remember. Yeah. What was it? It was, a, it was a malt beverage called Earthquake. Earthquake, yeah. That's it was what a little, this guy yeah, 12% alcohol, a little natural disaster for your brain. <laughs> oh my gosh. Victim is our sponsor, Bobby. That sounds awesome. That's why you used to call Bobby a little natural disaster back, when, <laughs> back in his drinking days. All right, I'll let Bobby take us on this next one. The end goal of MKUltra was to be able to use mind control techniques on Soviet, Chinese, and North Korean enemy combatants of war during the Korean War. 
They also aspired to be able to drug and manipulate Fidel Castro and even made several failed attempts to do so. At the height of the program, they had operations in over 80 hospitals, prisons, and universities where research and experiments were conducted. Because everyone knows if you type a prisoner and ask him to tell you the truth, he's just going to lie and fib. But if you give him LSD and he doesn't know what the fuck's going on, he'll have no choice but tell the truth. That would be great if they, I mean, I'm assuming they eventually figured out this isn't going to work, but <laughs> but if, if they're giving like prisoners LSD and then just taking them literally at their word for everything that they said. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, holy shit, we give up. They have like dragons and shit and they got fucking lasers and fucking spaceships or whatever the fuck. They got wizards and Loch Ness monsters. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, they take prisoners literally at their word to get other prisoners convicted. Yeah. yeah. Give them LSD. Yeah. But they'll take their, their word they yeah. get another arrest from it. They'll have yeah, exactly. Sasquatch didn't get then arrested. Then they're very trustworthy and reliable. Yeah, yeah. The project cost was roughly around $100 million in inflation-adjusted dollars, but it did produce some hits. Operation Midnight Climax, that's, that's what I call it. <laughs> I saw that movie. That, every time I have sex, that's what I call it, Operation Midnight Climax. Because <laughs> I started at 11.59. So. <laughs> and you're a preemie, right? Yeah, the midnight. And you're I'm a preemie. A, oh, a preemie. <laughs> Operation Midnight Climax was a sting operation where agents set up fake brothels in safe houses in San Francisco and New York City. The CIA used sex workers on their payroll. Wow, man. Imagine being a sex worker on the CIA payroll. You could just, <laughs> just tell people that you work for the Department of Defense. You're just a I mean, that's perfect, though, because tell somebody that she's in the CIA and nobody's going to believe her. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> to lure unsuspecting Johns back to these fake whorehouses and consent to heavy LSD use. Or they would otherwise threaten to revile their embarrassing adultery to their a reveal. <laughs> right. this, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, Ian puts all these Easter eggs within. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wrote this when I was on LSD, by the way. Yeah. Ian always tries to trap us with his spelling. <laughs> Otherwise, threaten to reveal their embarrassing adultery to their families. And so they would convince him to go to the whorehouses, right? And then they would load him up on LSD. So, so the whore would find them in the street and be like, hey, hey, buddy, you want to? Have some sexy times, and then guy be like, "Sure, let's have some sexy times." <laughs> How can you hey, buddy, <laughs> Ian would make a great prostitute. <laughs> Just run my hands through my hair. Anyway. You gonna have some sexy time? We got some snacky treats. Got <laughs> <laughs> some cheesy poofs. Make a night of it. <laughs> I'm and a G-rated prostitute. What can I say? But then, so the John would be like, "Sure, let's go, let's do it," and then they just take him back to the CIA safe house instead, and then like, "Gotcha." So you were gonna want to have the sex. And we got you on camera, got you doing all this stuff. So we'll tell your family unless you let us load you up with LSD and do some tests. Did they know they had a family beforehand? Is uh, that like one of the first questions? That, I guess that should is a good point. Well, that's, what, that's how you start. It's like, it hey, been baby, one first. do you have a family? Let's have some <laughs> sexy times. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you seduce people. <laughs> and then you revile them. <laughs> right? Is that what it is? It just comes, it just comes around. It seems like there would be easier ways to get people to do LSD. Like, yeah, guys? hi, teenager. Would you like to do drugs? <laughs> <laughs> you want to be cool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. But okay, I guess you got to go through all this rigmarole. So building on the success of Operation Midnight Climax, the CIA began dosing people in restaurants, bars, and beaches, hoping that the shame of infidelity would yield similar compliance. But as time started getting more liberal in the swinging 60s, the shame angle didn't play anymore. So the CIA did the responsible thing and pivoted to heroin addicts next. They found more success getting junkies 
to willingly participate in the LSD experiments. All they had to do was promise them more heroin. Best case, they would overdose and die, leaving no trace of the experiment. Worst case, they're just a happy junkie. Yeah, that would be the best deal ever. It's like, hey man, if you just get high on LSD, we'll let you get high on heroin for the free. double score. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, price the best deal. That's even better than... Hey, let's have sexy times. It's <laughs> the best deal since, hey, baby, let's have some sexy times. Yeah, not to mention the potential for flashbacks, so you might even get more free drugs later. <laughs> this is, they should have just started like, well, I guess you, you can't trust the test results as much when you're dealing with heroin addicts. Is that why they didn't start off with this to begin with? Yeah, probably so. They wanted to get more middle America type people. Yeah, high yeah. On no, LSD. we need more hermits involved in this experiment. <laughs> yeah. I'll let Spitzer take it on this last point here. MK Ultra notoriously poisoned their own. Frank Olson, a CIA officer, was reported concerned about the project and was thinking of quitting. So the project leader, Gottlieb, held a retreat for Olson and other scientists and secretly dosed everyone with LSD. Jesus. A week later, yeah. Olson died. Oh. After, <laughs> after spoiler alert. <laughs> a week later, Olson died after falling from the window of a high-rise hotel. <laughs> I'm that sorry, that's hilarious. not funny. That's, <laughs> I'm with you, Spencer. That is smiley. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's how we. That's how we always get Spencer. It's like put somebody falling off a building. She we play fucking music. It. Womp womp. <laughs> The death was investigated as a suicide, but reported as a death by misadventure. President Richard Nixon officially shut down Project MKUltra in the early 1970s, but many scientists immediately started working on another clandestine project relating to the migration patterns of birds. <laughs> More notorious yeah. evil things. We, That's what they wanted all along, right? <laughs> Isn't that the name of the original thing? Isn't it like Project Bluebird? Hummingbird. <laughs> Back true to its form. Or Project Bluebird. Are, we just, are we just saving the, the one about patterns of birds for when Joe Zimmerman comes back into this podcast? <laughs> but they pivoted back to the migration patterns of birds, which was the original name of the project, Project Bluebird or whatever. I mean, this is some like evil guy from James Bond movie type of shit. Oh, you dude, know, yeah, evil supervillain. They were trying to do like chemical warfare. So what they did is they dosed the birds. Allegedly, they would dose the birds with all kinds of chemical agents. And then they knew that these guys were flying south. So they'd make sure they were Oh, catching that's what the they did with the, Oh, see, I didn't even realize. I mean, I'm talking about the dude giving everybody LSD oh, yeah, yeah. He, when he, they were thinking he, of quitting. Yeah, he was just like, we're going to try to mind control these fuckers and get them to comply. And we're going to do a little retreat and do some little brain wiping magic shit on him. And it didn't quite work, but the one dude did go crazy. And well, allegedly it was first a suicide, but then they changed it to death by misadventure because... Which, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, death that by is, misad that, that sounds like you fell off a roller coaster. If, you, if you're like, <laughs> if you're like a, a gentleman adventurer that enjoys a pipe, enjoys a cigar, you know, those kind of people, and they go on these like, you know... A John, if you will. <laughs> and they go on like adventures to exotic locations. And just one of them happens to die in Thailand. There's a bunch of lady boys. Uh -huh. You know, you, you report it as a death by misadventure. Oh, okay. Lady boys have to be involved is the moral story. You always involve lady boys somehow <laughs> in this. It's also ironic that Nixon's the one that shut this down. Like, they, know. you know, when you, yeah, it's when you know your fucking thing is evil when even Nixon is like, nah, man, I can't be, I can't be involved in this shit. This is too fucking fucked up. That, that's the real story of MK Ultra. So now we know. Still my favorite Mortal Kombat of all time. <laughs> We also know how to tickle Spencer's funny bone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So speaking of Spencer, now we're going to have our interview segment. For our listeners, Spencer is a fellow comrade from the comedy scenes, and then her career has taken an amazing turn. 
we're going to sort of do a little walkthrough of her story arc. All right, so, so set up the timeline. So timeline is uh, you got started in comedy around when? 2012. And what was your first gig? And what was your first like a uh, couple of videos? Yeah, where did you go up first? Oh, man, the comedy zone. That, uh, the like the first. open mic? Um, no, I took the class. Oh, okay. Yes, you have to take a class to be funny. Everyone knows <laughs> yeah. that. Um, so I, t- I took the class, but I misunderstood it, and I came prepared with a set like the first day. And so oh, I just wow. like, performed my set the first day because I thought that's what the class meant. And they were like, oh, no, we're supposed to teach you how to be funny. Um, it's so it's more like they try to beat the funny out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried talking more about being black? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I did I did that. And then I, that's the first time I went up, I guess, was at the graduation thing. So after you did the, the Comedy Zone thing, what was next? Um, they asked me like the day of the graduation to start hosting. Oh, cool. Yeah, and so I went to small, the small club, and I was all filled with comedy class confidence, like, oh, I got this. Um, and I, to this day, have never bombed worse than <laughs> I have What's... that day. I was like, oh, there's a, there's a real world out here when well, it comes to comedy. So how'd you rebound from your first bombing gig? So from that experience, what did you do next? How'd you pivot? Oh, I, I just decided I never wanted to feel that again. Um, <laughs> I, I became more conversational. I think I was very, that's another thing about comedy classes. They do get you, you know, an audience, they get you in front of people, but you get kind of this rehearsed vibe about you yeah. because you've been thinking of the same jokes over and over and you don't yeah. quite know how to relate to the audience yet. And so I worked on being more conversational and writing material that I found funny instead of jokes that I thought other people would find funny. So once you got sort of your first taste of success, how did you parlay that into like greener pastures, bigger gigs and things like that? I was doing work at The Zone and then um, Nick, who you had last week, he started kind of offering like alternative rooms that were bringing in people that weren't necessarily booked at The Zone, mm-hmm. like Dave Stone and such. Um, and he was bringing in a lot of comics that I was meeting through in Atlanta and stuff like that. And so I started making these connections and started doing those rooms. And I was just surrounded by people who were doing a type of comedy that I enjoyed more. Um, I'm not saying anything I think everyone has different types of humor but when it comes to like a club you kind of want a humor that hits everyone in the same way so it's very relatable it's a lot mm-hmm. of material about like you know children or like falling out of a building yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh no here she goes okay it's gonna be about five minutes of laughter I'll edit it down this is a silly way to go <laughs> yeah it's a misadventure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was, I found, I just was um, meeting comics and in within the scene and outside of the scene that I felt like had just a type of humor that I wanted to strive towards. Because like, for a while type. there, you weren't going to the, to the zone at all, right? Yeah, for a while. At some point, I was doing their podcast for a little while. Oh, and really? Then, um, and then I well, was realizing get- that I wasn't being, you know, like it wasn't something that necessarily... I needed to be doing at that time. It wasn't like advancing me in in the way that I needed to be advanced. Like I needed to be writing yeah. and, and I was working full time and I said, I need to kind of take a step away from this. And it was a good decision because I was able to focus more on my writing and it really changed the type of writing I was doing. Oh yeah, Because I used to do a lot more, I guess, clubby material and then kind of switched and found my voice a few years after that. I, yeah, that was a great move. So, yeah. so what'd you do next? So you got sort of alternative rooms and you already had a good rapport with the Comedy Zone. So how did you decided to break into more writing versus stand up and then how did you eventually get out to California like connect the dots on all that okay um i so to me 
the whole reason to do stand up in the first place was I, I don't necessarily like the attention on me very much. I'm not like an in front of the camera person, but I liked the writing of it. I like to write jokes and then see if they could elicit a reaction. So I started just really focusing on my set. I wanted a set that I was proud of and that if I saw someone else perform it, I would think it's funny. Um, so I, I started working on that and I made those connections through the shows here with comics in Atlanta. And I was faced with kind of a decision where I was like, should I move to Atlanta or should I move to one of the big two? You know, should I move to New York or California? And I asked one of the shows that Nick put on here, he had Andy Kindler come. And I talked to Andy Kindler afterwards and he kind of like gave me an open invitation where he's like, if, if you have any questions or anything throughout your career, feel free to he's ask me. He's the fucking best. Yeah, he's I love so, Andy. so nice. So I couldn't nice believe it. And hilarious. Yeah. I, I don't really know if there's nice a stand up comic that I can see live that makes me laugh more than Andy Kindler because he, he mocks stand up comedy. so fucking <laughs> yeah. hardcore. He's I love really, it. He's really, really funny. So he opened, he, he told you like you can. Oh, move. yeah. And um, so he, I asked him and he said, move to Atlanta. And then um, the, his words, and I'm not saying this, like, oh, humble. Move to Atlanta, let your talent bring you to the other two. He said, if, eventually, if this is what you're you know meant to do and stuff like that, and you have that, that talent, one of the other two will pick you up. Basically, it was mm-hmm. his advice. And so I moved to Atlanta, which was financially much better for me <laughs> um, than moving to New York or L.A. And I really integrated myself in the scene. I, I started working on packets and submitting them to places like Nickelodeon has a program. Disney has a program. And um, I started writing the packets knowing that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I started doing that kind of to practice. And I ended up doing a set. I got a call. And they said, hey, can you do a set at the Laughing Skull Lounge in Atlanta, mm-hmm. which was a club that I'd done periodically while I was there. Um, I got pretty integrated into that scene. And, and I said, yeah, sure. And they're like, it's going to be three minutes. It's going to be in the beginning. And someone of interest is in the audience. And I had no idea what that meant. And I was completely nervous. So I went and I did my set and I... And I bombed my dick off. Uh, <laughs> Another bombing. Yeah. Not as badly as the first time, of course. Um, but like it, it was they just weren't really feeling my jokes when it came down to it. Like it just I, I, I felt like I performed well, but like my jokes, they just did not like me at all, um, which happens. You know, sometimes the audience is not for you. Sometimes you're not performing your best. So I went home and I was devastated. I was like, a person of interest hates me now. I had no idea. I had no idea who this okay, person. They're going to get arrested anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then I called my mom. I was all upset. I'm like, I don't know what was happening, but whatever it was, I didn't get it. Get a call the next day. The person of interest was a talent manager. Um, and he's like, I loved your stuff. And I was like, what set did you see? Because <laughs> that did not work at all. And he's like, well, I liked it. Um, and so he signed me and well, kind of like a handshake deal. And from that point on, I started getting packets that I could submit to. So he would be like, oh, oh so cool. he had very like specific ones. So instead of doing the general ones, which also work, I have two friends who are in the writing room with me now who did go through like the general route, didn't okay. have any manager or anything like that and were able to get into the writing room. But um, he was giving more specific packets. So like every night, late night host you can think of, I have submitted a packet and been rejected by <laughs> every single one. Um, and then eventually I get a call and and he's like, hey, I submitted your stuff to this new television show that's coming out called Mixedish. It's a spinoff of Blackish. They were interested in your stuff. They like the fact that you're mixed. They like that you do stand up and improv um, and they want an interview. And so I flew out. It was so expensive. I was like, oh my God, if I don't get this, I'm also down several grand. <laughs> it was like the most stressful thing. I flew out um, and I did the interview and they said, yeah, We'll, we'll take you. Awesome. So, awesome. And so now I, I'm a writer in that room and it's been really amazing. That's, that would be one of those. That's super cool. Where, like you said, if you don't get it, like 
not only do you not have the job, you also hate those people. <laughs> and fuck that show. And <laughs> Just like, no. It was it was worse because I had I did the interview and then I got a secondary interview. They're like, okay, the creator of the show wants to meet you uh, afterwards. Yeah. And I didn't know about that, so I hadn't planned it. So I had to upgrade my ticket to first class because that was the only thing they had left. So I was flying back first class home. I'm like, this is going to be the best ride home or the worst one. <laughs> Someone's going to be like, why are you sobbing, ma'am? <laughs> it was, oh man, that was so stressful. <laughs> but I got it. And it was, I mean, it was honestly very mediocre. It was the only time I've ever flown first class. I was very excited. I was like, hey, can I have a bottle, some champagne? She said, we're out. And that was it. <laughs> well, I drank nothing and went home. So tell us about the experience of riding on the show. Because I mean, so now that you're over in, a, I guess, presume like the LA area. Mm-hmm. So you've been working on the show for about, what, six months to a year? And you already got uh, like an entire episode that you wrote mostly yourself. Right? I did. Which yes, incredible. I got my first yeah. written bio. And really which episode was that? Um, that is episode 13. Is that so the th- one where all the people are falling off the building? <laughs> <laughs> that is most of the gags okay, in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap, so you're working on a new script. Where are you at in the process with getting that sort of pitched and put together? Um, so I'm working on a feature and I'm working on it and kind of bouncing the idea back with my manager. I'm doing the outline right now. I find features are a lot longer (laughs) than 30 minute sitcoms. So it's been challenging a little bit, but also there's kind of a freedom to it because you, you can put all the information in the script. Whereas like if you're writing a 30 minute show, you have to decide what information is pertinent and what isn't. And sometimes you have to cut jokes and bits and ideas because it's like the audience, even though this is funny or you think it's important, the audience doesn't necessarily need to hear it, but you, you have the liberty with a feature to just like put, close all the loose ends and tie everything up. And, and so that part's been fun, but yeah, I am hoping to have it finished by the end of January and then start trying to like pitch it out and see if it could be picked up at some point, maybe between April and May. Sounds super awesome. Yeah, thank you. All right, anybody got anything else? I don't believe any of this shit. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was awesome. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for coming out, and everybody check out Mixedish. Woohoo! What network is that on? (laughs) ABC. I've I've heard of it. What what time is it coming out? It's um, Tuesdays. Tuesdays at 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Mm Oh, that's when this podcast is on. (laughs) (laughs) So DVR, mixed dish.